welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Yes. So, good morning. Uh, welcome to the Atlanta Area Intergroup and our quarterly speaker meeting. I would like to introduce our speaker this morning who has traveled here from Macon. His name is Art B. Art has a wonderful story. The words that come to mind when I hear and see Art are humility and a gentle soul and a powerful story. So without any further ado, I'm going to just ask you to help me welcome Art B. Thanks, Rich. And thank you, everybody. Thank you especially for that meeting this morning at 9.30. Uh, It lifted me up. It strengthened me. Can you hear me? Okay. My name's Art, and I'm a sexaholic. I'm a weak and fearful person. I fear the disapproval of others. I fear failure. I fear starting things. I'm a compulsive masturbator, but my drug of choice is sexual fantasy, lust in the mind. That's my first drink. That's what will make me drunk. God has kept me sober since August 1st, 1985. And I ask God to clear away my ego and my fear. Help me get out of the way. And I ask God to move my voice out across the room so that uh, people can hear. I started out by summarizing what it was like. Uh, and, and But I left out. I left out a key part of that, and that is uh, I focused my mind on lust to the point of insanity. I made myself insane and I harmed others and I broke the law repeatedly. I was absolutely out of control. I was insane. This is not the insanity defense. Uh, it's, it's a description of my thinking and behavior. Uh, so, The big book says we tell what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. So, uh, 
I, I will touch some more a little uh, on what it was like, but I'm, I'm not going to focus on that. Uh, uh, I want to get past that and talk especially about what happened, that middle part. Now, in a sense, uh, what happened, I could talk about just four days in my life near the end of July 1985. But uh, actually, I need to go back 10 years before that when I went to an open AA meeting with a member of my family. And uh, the, the member of my family at the end of that meeting picked up a white chip. Uh, and uh, I learned at the end of the meeting that I was an Al-Anon. I have to mention this other program because uh, Al-Anon and especially AA are essential to my recovery. Uh, over the next 10 years, I went to more than a thousand open AA meetings. I went to Al-Anon as well, but I went to AA meetings open AA meetings, I'm not an alcoholic, uh, because it's the only place in the world that I felt at home. And I didn't know why, but I kept going back. I didn't know why. Uh, during those 10 years, I was trying to get sober, uh, and, and I would... It, at some point in those 10 years, I would have started using that term, get sober. But I didn't know how. Uh, I knew I didn't want to continue acting out and harming people. Uh, and during those 10 years, I saw alcoholics come into the rooms, and I saw that those who kept coming back, became beautiful. That was one of the messages of AA to me, the men and the women. Uh, those who kept coming back became beautiful. And why I choose that word, I don't know, but that is just the way it came to me. Uh, and I wanted to be beautiful. Uh, I didn't want to be ugly. And sometime during that 10 years, I realized what it would take for me to be sober. I realized that the insanity started in my head. I realized that the way I made myself insane was I would get an image, get a sexual image in my head, uh, a scenario uh, and I would build a story. And that sounds, in a way, that sounds a little rinky-dink, but that's, that's the way I experienced it. I would get an image in my head, and I would build a story. So, sexual fantasy. And whenever I say this, I can't think of the world out there of earth people 
and uh, and and uh, I think Earth people to hear me say that I that I got obsessed with sexual fantasy, some would say, well, so what? You know, we all we all get into that. Or a counselor might say, oh, this is a, this is an important part of uh, of the inner life. Uh, well, that may be true for Earth people. I don't know. Uh, Earth people may be able to masturbate without uh, having a mood-altering experience. I don't know. Uh, but I became convinced, really convinced, so strongly convinced, uh, that I, I think I didn't figure it out. I think that uh, that this is something God gave me, that my first drink, and I heard the alcoholics talking about their first drink, my first drink was the sexual fantasy, uh, grabbing hold of the sexual fantasy and uh, getting it going in my mind. Uh, now, this was this was a drug for me. And uh, one way I can illustrate it is that after I was sober for a couple of years, uh, probably two or three years, uh, and one of the memories of an old acting out situation or just the memory of one of my standard sexual fantasies that I had used, uh, when, uh, when I would remember something like that, I could feel my brain changed and I, I my, my sponsor tells me don't don't analyze but I'm going to analyze uh, my explanation is that I had enough clarity of mind by then and it took me several years to get any clarity of mind by the way uh, but I had enough clarity of mind by then that I could feel the effect of the lust uh, So I also had the experience of having a sexual fantasy going in my head and realizing that I had the opportunity to masturbate and making the decision to masturbate. And I could feel I could feel the change in my in my body, uh, and the, the sense I had was it was a kind of delicious numbness would come over me. So I say that I have an addiction to a substance, and the substance is what I manufacture in my head. Uh, I can feel it in my body. Uh, I tried to get sober. I tried to to eliminate the sexual fantasies for at least ten years. Uh, I first I went to my first uh, open AA meeting in November 1975, uh, and of course I for a couple of decades I had been trying to control my masturbation and acting out with any, without any success but uh, 
I went, I attended open AA meetings from 1975 to 1985, and as I said, more than a thousand. Uh, I was I was going to more AA meetings than some alcoholics, uh, and uh, now I understand those ten years uh, as God's work preparing me to get sober. I didn't get sober. I was crazy in the head, and I was dangerous. Uh, but God was using those ten years to to prepare me. Halfway through those ten years, uh, I was divorced from my first marriage. And uh, certainly, my addiction contributed a lot to the failure of that marriage. Uh, It was a very rough marriage. I was a lousy husband. Uh, I was isolated. Communicated very little of anything of importance to my to my first wife. Uh, Blamed her for everything. Uh, And uh, and yet I I resisted divorce. Uh, and by the way, we went to three years of marriage counseling trying to save that marriage. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. That was that was part of the journey, too. That was uh, uh, during that during that marriage counseling. In the first session, in fact, I was so desperate to try to save that marriage that I told my first wife and the counselor the nature of my acting out. Uh, so, so that was part of my journey. Uh, we went through those three years of marriage counseling, and the marriage kept getting worse. And she said to me for the last couple of years we were married, I'm going to divorce you. Art, I'm going to divorce you. And I, I said, well, uh, divorce me if you insist, but I'm not going to divorce you. And one of the one of the things motivating me was I thought if I were outside of marriage that I would be much more dangerous. And in fact, when I got married that first time, I thought it would make me normal. And it didn't. Uh, what it was like. My first wife did not withhold sexual uh, sexual commerce. Uh, and yet, after, after a period, I preferred to masturbate rather than have sex with her. And there would be times when, uh, and, and I always went to bed before she did, uh, and there would be times when I would Use, would get a fantasy in my head and just use the mattress, rub myself against the mattress to masturbate. And this is the bed she would come to later on, to come to bed. Uh, I, 
I feel a great deal of shame about that. Uh, I did great harm. And that's not the worst of what I did. But uh, that's the kind of marriage it was. Uh, so halfway through that 10 years, from 75 to 85, when I was going to AA meetings, the marriage ended. And uh, I, uh, I I thought that that the that the my life was over, uh, and I was scared to death. Uh, and I had two children by that first marriage, uh, and. What was I going to do? Well, I was in, immediately began looking around for someone to marry me. Uh, I still thought that I needed marriage to be normal. And I thought, well, that marriage was no good, that I'll get a good marriage and I'll be normal. Uh, so I was, I was remarried within uh, just a little over two years, which was too soon. And uh, I was insane to remarry. And my wife, who was my present wife, she was insane to marry me. Uh, although it is true, uh, she had the spiritual depth to say to me, Art, I feel like I get... To a certain point, I, and I'm trying to get close to you, and then I run into a wall. It's like you build up a brick wall around yourself. That was really a gift for her to say that to me. And uh, so I said, well, let's go someplace where we can sit down. And, uh, and by the way, this is, this is part of my journey. I was practicing being honest with women. I was practicing because I realized that I had never been honest with women. So I was practicing being honest with women. And by the way, I found out it's a good dating technique. <laughs> but, but anyway, this one said that she ran into a wall. And so I said, let's sit down. And I told her. Uh, the nature of my sexual orientation and my acting out. Uh, so that was a good thing for me to do. Now, she said later that what she heard was that this guy really needs me. That's what she heard. So, uh, uh, but, you know, uh, that, that wasn't my responsibility. So, uh so I got married the second time, and uh, and I was not sober. And the marriage showed it. Uh, and after two and a half years into that marriage, by the way, don't do this at home. Don't get married unsober. Uh, <clears throat> Two and a half years into that marriage, I got sober. So that was in 1985. Uh, and 
many times in, in meetings I've heard members of the program say that when they when they got sober, they immediately got some clarity of mind and uh, and they 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 started to lose that rage uh, and had better relations with their family. That wasn't true for me. Uh, and again, I'll analyze and say, I think that I had been numb all that time. And when I got sober, the numbness started to fade away. And, and all of these feelings came up. And I, I became a rageaholic and yelled at my wife and children. And I had two more children with that marriage. Uh, I was a rageaholic. Uh, I was uh, uh, unable to cope with the kids very often. Uh, so, so it it took quite a bit of patience on my wife's part. At one point, she suggested a trial separation. Uh, So I almost lost that second marriage, but I didn't. Uh, and so this is, uh, let, let me go back to, uh, to 1985. And I said that if I, if I had to say, if I had to talk about what happened, I'd talk about four days in July 1985. So, uh, I was at an open AA meeting, uh, a Sunday evening open discussion meeting in Warner Robins uh, in July 1985. And it was a meeting that I, I, I made religiously. I'm a regular churchgoer, but uh, I, I made that meeting as regularly as I go to church. For one thing, because Sunday night was so scary, uh, approaching the week for me. So uh, so I was at that meeting, and, and after the meeting, a guy came up to me and started chatting about how he had a problem with masturbation since, since his divorce which was not the kind of fellowship I normally expected after an AA meeting. And, uh, and I, I was mystified, and I was wondering if he was trying to pick me up. Uh, and, uh, but I just said, yeah, I have that problem too. And then he told me that there were people who met uh, and called themselves sex addicts and worked the 12 steps. And, you know, through all that time as I was trying to get sober, it had never occurred to me why I was so comfortable at AA meetings. It never occurred to me that I was an addict. It never occurred to me. I'm so smart. <laughs> uh, but
But when he said that word addict, a light bulb went on. And I said, my God, that's it. I'm an addict. I'm powerless. I knew the steps. I had partly worked them as an Al-Anon. Uh, I said, I'm an addict. So he told me that there were meetings in Atlanta. Uh, and uh, the first meeting he told me about was on a Monday night, but then that one shifted to Wednesday night. And he gave me directions on, on how to get there. Now, where I lived at the time, that was a 200-mile round trip. Uh, but the next Wednesday, I drove to Atlanta. This uh, he gave me the he gave me the address. No GPS back then, of course. But uh, uh, he gave me the address, and it was on Peachtree Street. And of course, every other street in Atlanta is. <laughs> and as I was driving up Peachtree Street, I, I crossed an overpass going over some other road and there was a woman standing at the overpass looking down at the traffic below in such a way so that her body imprinted on my mind and it's still there it's still there but but I was on my way to a meeting and uh, and I got to that meeting and uh, I found a group of people who call themselves sex addicts. It was not SA. It was an unaffiliated group. Uh, they used some literature from SA, uh, which of course was, was uh, kind of, a lot of it was in loose leaf form. Uh, they used some literature from another 12-step S program. Uh, and in this group, Everybody picked their own sobriety definition. And you know, oh, and by the way, this fellow who had 12-stepped me after that uh, open AA meeting had given me an earlier version of the white book. And I read that twice in two weeks. And, and the, what it gave me was hope. It gave me hope. Uh, but it didn't give me much else because I was so numb and I did not even see the sobriety definition didn't see the sobriety definition. So I was in this group, and everybody picked their own sobriety. And that was a great blessing, actually, for me, because uh, I prayed to God, and I said, God, tell me what my sobriety is. And there was one guy in the group who only allowed himself to masturbate on Wednesdays. <laughs> so I prayed to God, and I said, what is my sobriety? And I knew. I knew the answer. It was just a matter of accepting and embracing it. And the answer was, uh, my first drink is when I take a sexual thought and build a story on it. It's not masturbation. Uh, it's not infidelity. Uh, I am drunk long before I masturbate. So that was my that was my first drink. I knew it. And then immediately I said, but that means failure, because I had tried to control my mind for decades. And especially in those last 10 years when I knew what was making me crazy. 
I, I still had these sick fantasies uh, all the time. So I knew that if I picked up a white chip and said, I'm going to stop having sexual fantasies, that I would be a failure. So I embraced failure. I picked up the white chip and I said, I'm going to try to uh, let go of my fantasies as they come. I didn't say I was going to try to have a clear mind. but I said I'm going to try to let go of fantasies as they come. Now, what gave me the courage to do that was that while I was attending these meetings in late July, uh, I got four days together that I, I had never had experience of that before. Four days together when my mind was completely clear of sexual thoughts. I wasn't even trying. But I was aware my mind was clear of sexual thoughts for four days. Then my wife had to take some professional certification exam on the Emory of on the uh, campus of Emory University, and we so we drove up here to Atlanta. And I stepped out of the car, and there were all these women around, and so I had some sexual thoughts. Uh, but I picked up that white chip, expecting to fail, and my perception is that God let me see them coming. That before I could be in a fantasy for 20 minutes while I was doing other things and not even realize it. And my perception is that God let me see them coming. And uh, that is the basis of my sobriety. So I got sober outside of SA. Now, I'm grateful to be in a fellowship where there is a fellowship definition of sobriety. Uh, but I, when I picked up that white chip, I didn't say I'm not going to masturbate. But the desire to masturbate left me soon afterward because my addiction is mental. It's in my head. And I believe that this is the message that I am to carry today. That uh, that if I can surrender, and now I, I can't, I can't force them away. I've got to surrender. If I can surrender. Uh, God will keep me sober. Now, I can't surrender without God in the first place. Uh, there have been times when when I have prayed, God help me to be willing to surrender. Uh, but but I can't force it. Uh, about two weeks ago, in fact, I, I know I know precisely when it was. It was uh, the morning of Friday, July thirty first. Uh, I was taking a shower, and a lust thought came into my head. I said, oh, there's a lust thought. And and it went away with hardly any effort. And about ten seconds later, a completely different lust thought came into my head. So, there's another one. 
and it it was easy to let it go. And I wasn't finished my shower. A third lust, a completely different lust thought came into my head. And I said, this is a busy morning. <laughs> and, and I was able to let it go. And I smiled to myself. You know, these lust thoughts, when they come to me, they don't seem dangerous. Uh, they come promising to make me happy. They'll say, don't worry about me, Art. Uh, I'm not really dangerous, and I'll make you happy. Uh, now, that's a lie. Lust is a liar. And I know because all of those decades, when I, when I took the lust thought in and made it my own, it made me miserable. They always made me miserable. Uh, they led to misery and great harm. Uh, and I was smiling to myself because if I made it till midnight that night, then I would have 30 years of sobriety. And, uh, and my friends have made a big deal of this. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and it's been fun. Uh, we had uh, at, the, at the regular Friday meeting last night. And by the way, when I went to my Friday meeting that, uh, two weeks ago, uh, on the 31st of July, I reported to uh, uh, my home group uh, that I'd had these three lust thoughts, just uh, as I'm reporting to you. But uh, last night, the group uh, gave me a birthday cake uh, with uh, written on it the number of the number of days there are in 30 years, uh, and uh, uh, it was really it was really delightful. Uh, so, why am I sober this morning? I'm sober this morning because God has given me surrender over the lust thought. Uh, now. Um, I used I used some pornography uh, when I was acting out, but not much. Of course, that was before the internet. Uh, I always thought I could do better movies in my head. Uh, so so that's that's the base of my sobriety. By the way, I've never seen pornography on the internet. I think if I did, I might be hooked. But I, I, I haven't seen it, so I hope God will spare me that. Uh, now, that's what I wanted to say this morning. I'm going to say a few more things. Uh, how is it that I continue to be in surrender? Uh, I go to meetings. We have three meetings a week in Middle Georgia, and I go to all three meetings. Uh, my wife says that she knows I'm working a program because I make a lot of phone calls and I get a lot of phone calls. She says when, when I'm not on the phone anymore, then she's going to worry. Uh, actually, I think if I lost my sobriety, she would know it immediately anyway. Uh, and by the way, uh, when I first got sober, there weren't many sex addicts in Georgia. 
it was hard. It was hard to find somebody to call. So I was calling all over the country to people that I had learned about or I got their phone number from somebody else in the program. I was calling all over the country whenever. And I should say this. Whenever I had a hard time surrendering a lost thought, I would pray to God. God, give me the willingness to surrender this lust thought. Now, if it kept coming back, my next prayer to God was a phone call. And I consider a phone call to another member as a prayer to God. And uh, I would say, uh, you're my witness that I'm asking God to release me from this desire to fantasize. And uh, sometimes I'd call a guy and say, hello, I'd say, I don't want to make this damn phone call, but I'm in the damn habit. Because <laughs> uh, there were a lot of times I didn't want to make the call. In the early days, in the, in the late 80s, uh, this was before deregulation. And uh, you have to be a certain age to remember deregulation. Uh, it, it used to be that there were monopolies with the phone companies. You know, there was, there was one phone company. And, uh, and long distance was expensive. And at, at one point, my wife, who was at that time, she was paying the bills. She was writing the checks each month. At one point, my wife said, uh, I don't want to see that phone bill anymore. She said, you better get it out of the mailbox and you better write the check and don't let me see it because we had a very high long distance bill. Uh, but I always say it was cheaper than lawyers. So, uh, so I, I use the phone. Uh, I have a sponsor. My intention is to call him five days a week. We take off on, on the weekend unless I'm really in trouble. Uh, I don't always call him five days a week. Uh, but he is still the person to whom I am ultimately accountable after God. Uh, in fact, he, he said to me, uh, a couple weeks ago, he said, you know, you and I are more friends than sponsor and sponsee. And I corrected him, uh, which I don't often do. Well, I do it sometimes. But, <laughs> but I said, uh, I want it understood between us that I am accountable to you. Uh, I, I need that relationship because otherwise I think I'm in charge. Uh Okay, there's one more thing I want to say, and that is it gets better. Uh, we, there's a, uh, in the Member Stories 2007, there's, a, there's a, a story in there, and the title is It Gets Better. And it gets better. Uh, those three fantasy ideas, uh, or as I sometimes have called them, fantasy starts, that came into my head two weeks ago. Uh, you know, I saw them coming. I said, oh, okay, there's one. And I let it go. And it, it, it really is pretty much automatic. Uh, I will go weeks without really being aware of lust operating. Uh, now, that took a while coming. I, I, I remember at the end of the year 1996, so I was... Ten years sober. I remember at the end of the year 1996, I said, wow, I haven't had much lust this year. So 
it took a while. I'm, I'm a hard case, uh, but uh, but it's not a struggle with lust. So uh, that's that's something I need to say, and I think I probably ought to quit talking. Thank you. So at this time of the of the morning, we're going to open up the um, meeting for sharing or questions and sharing the emphasis on honesty, recovery and healing. We share with emphasis on applying the steps and principles of essay in our own lives. Please refrain from gossip or mention of self-help programs, therapy or non-essay approved literature. In participation, we avoid topics that can lead to dissension or distraction. We also avoid sexually explicit descriptions and sexually abusive language. Please speak in language that is dignified and inoffensive to all. And finally, in consideration of others, please keep your sharing brief so that all can have an opportunity to share. So if you come up, please sit in this chair. Make sure you speak into the mic. And um, we'll just see. We'll open this up for several rounds. And I think I have one or two maybe questions from the Ask a Basket if we have a lull in the conversation. Thank you. Thanks for your share uh art i really appreciate listening to you uh i'm john sexaholic hey, john. Uh, i remember what you said about being drunk way before masturbation occurs and, and i have to say that's true for me too you know and i have to realize that that it starts much earlier in uh my thought pattern and, and i like you uh my fantasy is 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 the first trigger you know, it starts, it starts away in the fantasy. It's all in my head. It's just something I cannot get rid of uh, unless I ask God for help, and I've got to do that on a constant basis. And I liked what you said about if the prayer to God doesn't work, make a prayer to somebody else, and I can appreciate that. So thank you for sharing. Thanks, John. My name is Dave. I'm a sex, sex addict. Hey, Dave. All right. Thank you so much for your story and for sharing. I could identify so much with what you shared. Um, I think the two words that really, really stuck with me were the words insanity and dangerous. Um, the longer I stay sober, um, the more insane I, I see that I my thinking is, the more aware I am of how insane my thinking is. And, you know, the, in, in AA and in the big book, they, they talk about insanity as strictly being the fact that we keep doing the same behavior, getting the same results, but we keep doing it anyway. Um, but it, it feels so much more insidious than that for me. Um, there's just something wrong about my thinking. There's just something really sick about my thinking. And um, uh, I'm so grateful for your share and, and for the, uh, your last comment, too, about the fact that it gets better. And, and, and I've experienced that, that um, the more that I connect with my higher power, the more I work this program, the more I seek to be of service to others, the more that slowly, slowly I'm being restored to sanity. But um, it's really frightening because that insanity is is dangerous. Like I'm, I'm really acutely aware of just how dangerous that insane thinking is and, and where it will lead me and where it will take me. Um, the other thing I wanted to share, uh, um, a part of that insanity, the, the big book talks about the obsession of the mind and the allergy of the body. And it talks about how the obsession of the mind is the greater aspect of our disease, um, whereas the physical allergy is kind of the lesser aspect. And a lot of a lot of guys in AA will talk about how they 
overcome the lesser aspect and they come in, they have to work on the, the greater aspect. And um, I was actually, I was talking to a sponsee. He's the one who drew this to my attention this week, and I, I thought it was spot on. Um, and it, it, it um, I'm real careful. I, I don't like to make hard and fast distinctions between SA and AA because I, I see the disease of the disease. But he, he said something that really, really, I thought, struck home. I can trigger the physical allergy directly with the mental obsession in this disease. Um, in AA, you can get the mental obsession, but in order to get drunk, I have to go out and get alcohol and put it in my system. But the moment I've triggered the, the, the mental obsession in this program, I've already triggered the physical allergy. Um, there's a direct correlation between my disease thinking and my physical allergy to this disease. And uh, it's, it's just all connected with that insanity and the dangerousness. And uh, I just, I, God, I want to stay sober one more day. Hit my knees sober tonight. I'm so grateful for your share. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks. I'm Andrew, and I'm a sexaholic. Um, I really appreciate it. Uh, art story. There's a number of things I can relate to, and I'll just focus on a couple. So, so one is um, I was also uh, sort of in recovery for about 10 years before I got sober. I did various recovery things like go to a council at church and, and even was an essay for a while um, and and was not able to get sober and really didn't. I mean, I wasn't able to surrender. I chose not to surrender. But at the same time, I can really see God doing a lot of things in that time period and preparing me uh, to one day uh, be able to surrender and to and to find um, some um, some some growth in the program. And I, I guess I'm you know thankful that the time you know the effort I invested in recovery even during those ten years wasn't wasted. Um, it, it was you know I was still insane and dangerous uh, myself, but. Uh, but but it but it wasn't wasted, and I'm thankful for that. And then I can relate to uh, what you shared about withdrawal as well. Um, so so when I was able to get sober within the first uh, within the first month or so after that, I I had like an emotional collapse. And for me, it wasn't anger; it was more loneliness and anxiety that were real extreme for me. And I was miserable for a long time. But I had to go through that in order to to. To, to recover or to begin to recover, and so um, you know that's a that's an experience. Looking back on it, it's not something I'd want to repeat, but it's something that I'm really grateful for. And and I'm really encouraged by what you said about it getting better. Um, so you mentioned that about 10 years into the program, uh, there was a lot more freedom from less than before. And I'm nowhere near 10 years, but I that's definitely something for me to look forward to. Um, and you also said that it took you like a couple of years or something like that to get some uh, to get some clarity of mind, and and that's about where I am. And I'm hopeful that someday soon I'll begin to get some clarity of mind as well. So, thank you. Thank you. I'm Chris, I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Chris. All right, thank you so much for your share. And I really appreciate that you focused on sexual fantasy because for me, um, I came into recovery. Um, uh, about 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago, and I thought my problem was I needed to stop masturbating. Um, and for the longest time, for the first few years, I didn't even think that I didn't masturbate until I was building that story. 
that you were talking about. And um, one of my sponsors had a great saying. He always said that I can't afford to go to the second frame of the movie in my mind. And I've always remembered that because, yeah, I'd have to start with some sort of scenario, whether it was from high school or college or, you know, some other acting out partner. And then I'd build, like, Perhaps it didn't end the way I wanted it to, so I'd change up the story in my mind because I'm the director, and, and uh, I just really appreciated that. And I also uh, appreciate uh, you wrote an article for SA a number of years ago about I don't need to know, and uh, that was another part of my thinking that was broken as well. I just had this compulsive urge, you know, if I was driving down the road and, and I saw at the corner of my eye, I have to look and see what that is. I have to know. And, and when I read that article, um, I don't need to know, it was very freeing. And that's another thing that I've just, there are these little tidbits that I pick up and they stick in my mind. Uh, and, and, and hopefully they're replacing some of the images. Um, and I thought it was powerful when you mentioned that you can still picture the woman going to your first SA meeting or first uh, meeting in Atlanta. And, and I've got the same thing. Those images are still there. But I try to replace them with these healthy recovery messages and bring those to mind. But I was going to ask you, what, what was it that, that sort of led up to that, that article? Because I've always been impressed by that I don't need to know. It was just a message I needed to hear, and I was just wondering if you could speak a little bit about what, what brought that to mind and what, what uh, led you to write, write that. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Chris. I don't think I can say what led to that article uh, specifically. Uh, I just became aware that if, if, if I were driving down the street and there was somebody on the sidewalk, I didn't know if it was a man or a woman, I felt this compulsion to look and take in everything I could about that person. And if it, if it was a person who was an appropriate, using that, that word in quotes, a sex object, uh, then... Uh, then I would really drink in. Uh, so, uh, so I just became aware that that it's a sort of hypervigilance. Uh, just and, and and if I were a police officer, that would be part of my job, right? But I'm not a police officer, <laughs> and so it's it's not in my job description. And uh, so I, I became aware of that, and so I started saying to myself, "I don't have to know. I don't have to know. I don't have to know how that person's clothes fit." Uh, and uh, so I said that to myself enough times, and uh, so I wrote about it. Who's next? I'm Mance. I'm a sexaholic. Amen. Art, I am uh, so delighted that you are here. And to me, it's everything you said is important. But the fact that Art is here as a person that I know, I met you somewhere 20 years or more ago. And uh, I am indebted to this fellowship for my life. But to put a face on it is so important, and art has always stood out. I was sharing with someone earlier uh, in the break that many years ago, the only intergroup we had for SA was in Macon, and those of us here in Atlanta went down there once a quarter 
and would have the intergroup meeting, and we always went to one of your regular meetings that was backed up to that. Uh, so I, I remember those times, but to me, it is important. Art and I aren't far apart in age, but to uh, have examples in front of us of people who have come out on the right side of this program and uh, who are living examples of the solution. Uh, it's important to me, and I think it's important to any of us. And uh, I'm just so delighted to have you here and uh, for what you represent. Thanks. Thanks, Nance. Thanks, Nance, but that's not good for my humility. <laughs> well, maybe this question might be. <laughs> so we have a couple of questions from the Ask a Basket. Here's the first one. Could you speak more to the realization of surrendering the lust thoughts? No. <laughs> Maybe if I if I repeat, then uh, then I'll be able to to see it more clearly. Uh, I am powerless over the desire to get into my head to build a world in which I'm in control and can have what I what my addict wants. Uh, <clears throat> If I can't immediately surrender uh, a fantasy image, then I ask God. Uh, oh, and there's one other thing I do. My sponsors, my sponsors suggested years ago, keep a rubber band on my wrist, and uh, and I can uh, snap it on my wrist, and uh, that little jolt of pain. Uh, is a sort of behavioral stimulus uh, to get me off get me off that track. Uh, uh, but if, if I can't surrender it, uh, and if, if I pray to God, if I pray to God, it goes away because the prayer takes the place of the fantasy. But sometimes it comes back. Uh, and if I can't surrender it, then then yes, I consider calling another member is a prayer to God. And uh, sometime this this past week, uh, I came back into the house in the morning and uh, my wife my wife had been off work for a year uh, and she went back to work recently. And so uh, I'm used to coming into the house and my wife being there and uh, she wasn't there. And, and I had that empty house feeling that some of you may know. Uh, and uh, and so I I called another member, and I didn't say to him this is a prayer, but I, I called another member to say, you know, I came into the house and it was empty and feeling a little squirrely, and uh, he understood and said he understood, and that's all I needed to say. So I I call another member, and uh, and that that has always worked. Uh, that has worked up until today. Uh, now, that experience I had in the shower, and, and I normally wouldn't expect three different fantasies to come to me within a few minutes uh, these days, but, uh, man, I, I, am I bragging to say it was easy? Uh, 
it, they just, you know, I, I saw them coming and, and, and I say, they're speaking to me, they're saying, uh, uh, I'm not going to hurt you, but I, I, I'm going to make you happy. Uh, and, and it just sounds like a lie now to me. Uh, I, I, I can't explain it any, any further. Guys, I'm Alex, the psychologist. Hey, Alex. Thank you so much for your share. Um, I was in addiction for 14 years and still am uh, struggling with this, and I'm a compulsive masturbator and anarchy and lust. And I uh, so it got so bad where I was literally I put term put the term like I didn't say compulsive masturbating. I literally was masturbating, masturbating myself to death, just like four or five times a night. I remember my I love when you share when you share you're talking about how you numbed out. I remember I'd go on a date. Sitting in front of a beautiful woman, I felt nothing. I didn't want her anymore. I was like, it's all my addiction. It's all my lust. And I was, and my, for me, I was grew up socially awkward. So sitting in front of a beautiful girl, I my whole life, I'd be like, oh my gosh, it'd be such an amazing thing. And then I was sitting with that girl as a grown man. I was like, I don't want this anymore. What's happening, man? I didn't feel anything anymore. I remember when I went to rehab, actually those feelings started coming back after I found some sobriety. And I was like, wow, like, that's how bad this is. But I think the biggest thing for me was since I throw with masturbation and lust, I'll go go to my members of the church and people I talk to and like Alex like, what are you talking about, man? It's a normal thing, guys do this, like get over yourself, man. I'm like, Well, this is causing huge problems in my life. Like what do I do about this? No one cares. No one really understands what I'm going through. I go to the doctor and they're like, dude, you're freaking crazy. Go have sex and go have masturbation. fine. I was like, this sucks. And that's just that isolation, that loneliness for me of I have a problem, but it's not a big problem in the world's eyes, and I'm just some weirdo who can't stop masturbating. And I remember when I re- went to rehab and I got to sit with people, and I hadn't gotten to an essay meeting yet, and I remember just sitting with guys, and I was like, wow, I feel at home right now. I feel like people understand how I feel. And uh, just hearing your story and how much sobriety and freedom you've had, um, and uh, your story with God, and just for me, I'm like, here's, I can be that, I can have that story. I can. Even though I'm struggling with this and what I'm going through, I feel so alone so many times. But here's a guy who lives a full life and he's walked this journey. And I can, God can give me that same journey if I follow him and surrender. And so, so I want to really thank you for your story. It really gives me a lot of hope. So, thanks, man. Thanks, Alex. I'm Ken. I'm a sex addict. Hey, Ken. All right, I just want to thank you for coming down here. Um, you know, I, Rich's comment at the beginning, you know, I remember I came in the program December of 07, and we had the first marathon here that January, February, I can't remember which month that. And you, you led a breakout session I went into, and uh, uh, I was shocked when you shared in the beginning. And uh, uh, one of my sponsees, or one of my friends who's real close to me said, well, you know, I never know, this is a long train ride, where I'm going to get off this train. And... Um, that stuck with me for you know, the past eight years, you know, seven and a half years. And uh, you are a gentle soul, you know, and that's a, a draw to me. Um, my first sponsor was like that. I could see that gentleness, that serenity in the soul. And that's something I always looked after. And uh, I, I've enjoyed every time I've heard you and spoken to you and various things. But I, you know, the, your comment about the... Uh, of, of the, the, the lust thought. is I remind, That's what I say. I say, I don't live on a slippery slope. I live on the head of a pin. <laughs> and there is no wiggle room up there. And so for me, I can't entertain just one look, just one thought. And I know from experience that has been said by better people than me that, you know, a, a thousand is not enough and one is too many. 
and that's that's where I live. And so I have to practice that every day. And, I, and I'm grateful for people like you and uh, others who've gone ahead of us that can look back and say, you know, I'm looking here at 30 years of recovery and sobriety, and it's getting better. It gives us hope. And, and I've got, you know, just over seven years of sobriety and recovery, and, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, and it's, it's, it's encouraging to know there's more yet to come. And... It's uh, your comment about humility is good. A friend of mine once said something to me, and I said, please don't say things like that to me. I said, there's this crazy person that lives in my head, and you're going to wake him up. So, <laughs> so, thanks again. I want to express appreciation to those who have uh, seven years, nine years, four years, uh, your sobriety is a gift to you, but it's also a gift to us. Uh, when you keep coming back and you're able to to show your sobriety, that makes us all stronger. So keep coming back, please. All right, we have a question, too, from the Ask a Basket. What do you do to surrender your ego and make a phone call when you don't want to but no, you should. That's a good question. Uh, you know, sometimes we call it the the uh, four hundred pound telephone. Uh, and uh, as, as many calls as I've made, they're still not easy for me. Uh, what do I do to surrender? Uh, sometimes. I guess the way I would describe it, sometimes I I turn my I turn it against the other person as I told you before sometimes I'll say I don't want to make this phone call but I'm in the damn habit so I I kind of come on aggressively uh, and maybe that's what I'm doing maybe I'm I'm kind of goosing myself giving myself a little courage uh, I'm I'm in the habit I'm in the habit I don't want to, but I make the call. Uh, now, again, I, I should say, to be honest, I don't make many calls to report like I did this past week, and I called a guy and said, I'm feeling a little squirrely. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm not making many of those kinds of calls, but now I call uh, newcomers a lot and uh, call them up and say, hey, how you doing? Uh, and, uh, and try to encourage them and call, you know, not just newcomers, but regular members, uh, other members uh, to uh, just to keep in touch and to keep in the habit. Thanks. The other question from the Ask a Basket is you talked about getting over lust thoughts. Will you talk about getting over rage you described? Thank you. Uh, yes. Uh, typically, <coughs> typical of my cowardice, I would rage at my wife and kids, then go to work and be an angel. <laughs> and I knew it was a problem. Uh, in my early sobriety, it was a problem that, that caused me a great deal of anguish. And so what did I do? I worked the steps on it. 
I went through, especially in my relations with my children, because I was more abusive to them than I was to my wife. Uh, and my wife can sometimes give it back to me pretty well. But uh, I did each of the steps, and uh, I would do a written step, and I'd bring it into the group, and I would schedule uh, one of the meetings. I would say I'd like to present a step during such and such a, a date, and uh, and I'd read my I'd read my my step uh, to the to the group. Uh, and I remember when I did my third step, uh, I was uh, I, I think somebody suggested I recite the third step prayer. And uh, and guys got up from around the table and spontaneously came over and put their hands on me while I was reciting the third step prayer. But before I was finished with the steps, my behavior had changed. The, the steps changed me. Uh, and I, I like to illustrate with my youngest child, who, as I'm fond of saying, was more trouble than the other three put together. And... Uh, and she and I would yell at each other. Uh, I would yell at the other kids, and they would and I'd yell at her, and she'd yell back. And so we would have yelling battles. Uh, and uh, as I worked the steps, I started to say to her, I'm not yelling at you. Please don't yell at me. And she would keep on yelling, and I would say again, I'm not yelling at you. Please don't yell at me. And I didn't yell back at her. And after a while, she quieted down too. So, uh, so the steps work. Thanks. Hello, I'm Mark, uh, recovering sexaholic. Hey, Mark. Mark. Art, I appreciate your story. And uh, when I hear things like this, and I hear like the meeting today, just uh, unbelievable shares and and uh, that are so inspiring. I just it makes me realize I want everything that God has for me. On, on all these blessings and uh, recovery, and uh, and I still feel a, a lot of shame. And even today in the meeting, I thought about a incidents where I had said something wrong and just went back and just just man, how could you do that? It's just like, and then sometime I'll think, you know, maybe this shame keeps me humble, so I won't go out and start being crazy. That's crazy again. But I really don't believe that in my heart. But I just feel like that. Uh, you know, there's something within me that, uh, uh, you know, it's not allowing me to accept all the blessings. And when I hear something like this, I don't normally talk about this in meetings. Cause I just think, well, it's just a journey I'm on that I'm just going to have to wade through. And I really, like I said, I think sometimes maybe there's something to this. But when I hear something like this and about somebody's got 30 years, I, I guess I'd like to see, first of all, if you have felt some of those things of maybe past actions, and it seems like you've been able to move past so many things. And uh, uh, what could uh, what could I do to, uh, to you know to really accept fully everything God has for me and put away these things that are uh, that just seem to hang on and really even sometime when I'm really feeling like some things are working, it seems like something will come up and I'll really think, oh well, you know, you, you gotta you got to remember this is how you are really in your heart or this is how you were or whatever. Thanks for letting me share that. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate that question. Uh, yes, I, I sometimes will have a memory come to me of past behavior and 
uh, insane behavior. Uh, not only insane sexual behavior, but just just screwy behavior. Just, you know, dumb things that I've done in the past. And, uh, and, and that's why that word insanity is important. As I say, it's not the insanity defense, but it's a description. Uh, and I say, oh, I was insane then. And what I get is a rush of gratitude. Because I don't have to be that way anymore. Today I don't have to be that way. Uh, and I didn't talk about gratitude today. Uh, and I sometimes said that the two most important tools in keeping me sober are phone calls and gratitude. And, uh, uh, yeah, I've got to work gratitude all the time. And I say work gratitude, but, uh, but it, it's really coming natural to me. Thanks. So I'm Rich P. A great recovering sexaholic. Hey, Rich. Um, I appreciate your story and a couple of things I wanted to just <clears throat> reflect on. Um, you made a statement about, and I chuckled at it because it's true for me, but you made a statement about being crazy in the head. I think that was your quote. And um, that is my truth. That, that's my reality, right? Whenever I think I could take control back um, and handle a situation. I like the I like what you shared about your sponsor and your sponsee relationship that um, you just need it reminded me that I need to remain obedient and willing to submit and willing to be teachable and willing to take direction because the moment that I don't, I don't think I am and I have all the answers I, have, I have that crazy in the head phenomena I think I know better and it's been really shown to me clearly that I don't know, which does go back to that other writing of yours, I don't have to know. And I have drawn a lot of strength in that over the years. It's been very helpful to me. So I appreciate, um, I appreciate that. One other thing I wanted to share is you were one of the first people in the program that I heard speak that felt like they, they had an inkling into my story. Um, I described myself as a low-bottom sex drunk, and you didn't say it today. You've also taught me how to respectfully tell my story as well. Um, but you, in the past, have hinted at some things that I thought, yeah, I think, you know, maybe this is the first person that, that may have an inkling into that type of behavior, but yet they have traction in this program and they're making it. And it sort of was a, it was a, you seemed like an anomaly to me at the time because I didn't think people, you know, could make it who had, um, who, who just engaged in certain things. So... Um, you gave me a lot of hope early on, and um, you were one of the first stories, I guess, that, that just resonated deep within me. And, and, yeah, it just gave me hope that there might be a way through, because for many years I would sit in this literal room in these meetings and just think that, you know, you, either people in here weren't being honest and they really weren't as sober as they were, or um, that God just does this for everybody else except me. And I began to, you know, over a journey, and it's, it's progress, I began to see that God does do this for me and God wants to delight in me and God wants to see me happy, joyous, and free when I give him permission. So anyway, thank you very much. Thanks for letting me share. Any other shares? Yeah, I wanted to just say one of, one of the gifts, one of the many gifts of my sponsor, uh, and again, this has to do with uh, how do you let go of, how do you let go of, uh, of, of the sexual fantasies. Uh, I would... I would call my sponsor, and uh, normally I don't, I don't express what's in my mind explicitly to other members. 
because I'm very suggestible myself, and I don't want to trigger anybody else. But my sponsor instructed me when I tell him about temptations, uh, sexual thoughts, that I be explicit. So, uh, so I report to my sponsor if I have a temptation, and, uh, and he always says, well, thank God for reminding you you're not cured. Thanks. Thank you, Art. Kenny from Augusta. Hi, Kenny. Nice to meet you. Uh, I'm really grateful to be here this morning. Um, And I appreciate what you said about a phone call to other members being a prayer to God. Uh, I I had an experience this week where um, in Augusta, you know, a few of us have uh, a group where we get together, um, you know, to help have a deeper connection with God and one of the rules for being in that group is that we have to contact each person by phone in the group at least once a week which isn't a lot um, but that's a really hard thing for me it has been a really hard thing for me and uh, this week I thought I had done a good you know I had done a good job making contact with each person uh, but I didn't realize that what they meant is you actually have to do the one that makes the call, not just receive the phone call. Um, and, uh, you know, so when that was made clear, I mean, I felt truly disturbed. And, you know, I found myself kind of asking, like, what is the, you know, what is the big deal with making these calls? When I knew in my heart that when I have humbled myself and let go of that ego and made a phone call just because it's been suggested to do that, um, that it's been an indicator of where I'm at in the program and um, the surrender overall to God. And so for you to put it in such you know, easy terms that it's a prayer to God uh, has really helped kind of solidify that experience for me this week. And I just wanted to say thank you for sharing that. Thanks, Kenny. Thanks, Kenny. I'm uh, Michael. I'm a sexaholic. Hi, Michael. I um, just wanted to say this is my first meeting of this size, and uh, just wanted to say thank you for your story. Um, a lot that you said resonated uh, with with uh, my life and my addiction, um, and I just wanted to say again thank you. Um, I do believe that this experience not just your speaking but the the entire experience of having everyone here and me being able to partake in a kindred spirit and a kindred understanding of this you know devastating addiction um, as, as it has uh, taken hold in my life in the past uh, for me to be here is is an act of um, to seek freedom from the addiction and um, to to live a life of, of peace um, I, I do sense the uh, the peace and the um, and the, the happiness that you experience, and I too want that. I do know that the addiction uh, keeps me from that, um, and I do know that um, the addiction is a form of bondage in my life. Um, and um, I have uh, this being here this morning just for me is a reiteration of why I need this program. Um, it's really interesting to me. I've, I've never joined anything or um, been a part of anything where I did not at one point in time or another question why I was there. For some reason or another, I would say, why am I doing this again? 
Um, but that's never happened with SA, which is really interesting for me. Um, you know, every meeting, every phone call, um, every word on the page uh, is more of an affirmation of why I'm doing this for myself um, and God and, and um, for my family so I can be a better uh, father and husband. So you, again, have just um, reinforced that for my life. So I want to say thank you. Thank you so much. Nathan, I'm a sexaholic. I was debating on getting up here because I get all nervous and stuff, but um, you, I think you un helped unlock something for me today that, that I didn't see before. Um, because for, my, for me, my addiction always starts the same, but I don't, didn't know where it started until today. Because it you know, always ends up in masturbation and pornography before that, but there's always something before that, which is the fantasy thoughts. And I had never thought of that before you started talking today, that it begins inside of my mind, the thoughts and stuff. And so then I go and look for those thoughts to be um, shown through pornography, to act out my thoughts through that, and then the masturbation comes after that. And so um, I had never even put that together or even thought about that until you talked today that every time I've ever acted out I can look back over my whole life and it's always started from inside fantasy thoughts and then looking to find those thoughts manifest in the in the um, the pornography and then the masturbation ends because I've never enjoyed masturbation like in my whole life it's not been something I've really liked even pornography I don't like but it was the thoughts that spurned that to complete the act so I want to I want to thank you. I, I never would have ever even seen that before, and so um, now I realize what you're saying. Like the steps and stuff can help change the inside of of us, so that those thoughts can begin to to be cleansed out. And so um, just wanted to share that. I appreciate that. Thank you. Anyone else? Opportunity to share. All right, well, with that, um, let's close this out by thanking Art again for being here and sharing his experience. Thank you, and I want to thank especially my brothers from uh, Middle Georgia SA Group and, and Kobe included, because Kobe's been to many of our meetings uh, for, uh, for coming and supporting me, and that means a lot. You, you all helped me keep sober. Now, can we circle up and maybe close this out with the prayer of our choice? The third step prayer. God. God. I offer myself to thee, to build with me, and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help. Of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life, may I do thy will always. Keep coming back if the words should be working, because I work every day and every night to should work it. Right. <laughs>
I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.